The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 77 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 72, Did You Hear the One About Scorpio? This week's issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by Sal Buscema, inks by Sam Granger, letters by Sam Rosen, and it comes to us in January of 1970. Yes, folks, it's official. We have left the 1960s, at least as of the cover date. Again, the cover date and the actual date of publication don't always line up perfectly. In fact, in reality, they rarely line up at all. However, for ease of comparison, we are using the cover date as opposed to the actual publication date. So this issue marks our departure departure from the 1960s. Taking a look at our cover, this is a great cover. The coloring is excellent, it's eye-catching, it really draws me in, wants me to read the issue, to take it all in. The Avengers are front and center with plenty of action to go around. The villain is very clear, and they even include the Kid of the Zodiac, which we will see plays a minor role in the events of the issue, but really I get an excellent sense of exactly what this issue is going to be just based on this cover, and I really appreciate that. Getting a look inside, as Captain America is making his way across the roof of Avengers Mansion on his way to a late night emergency Avengers meeting, Cap collides with another man who happens to be running along the roof as well, which obviously is somewhat unexpected. To Cap's surprise, it turns out to be his former sidekick, Rick Jones. If you remember back from our first several issues of Avengers, originally Rick Jones was the sidekick to the Hulk, and then when the Hulk joins and then subsequently almost immediately leaves the Avengers, Rick stays on as a sidekick to Cap because Rick is almost the spitting image of Cap's former sidekick, Bucky. So initially, Rick is pretty terse with Cap, but things calm down when Cap explains that the Captain America who treated Rick very poorly recently was in fact the Red Skull in disguise. And so the reunited pair enter the mansion so that they can attend the meeting that Cap has actually been the one who called. I do have a few questions here. I would love to know why Rick Jones is running along the roof of Avengers Mansion and why the Avengers fairly consistently insist on using the rooftop entrance to Avengers Mansion, especially when they're in costume. You know, to an extent, I could understand it if they're trying to be sneaky when they're in civilian clothes so people don't identify who they are outside of their costume personas and their secret identities, if you will. But it's fairly common knowledge which heroes are members of the Avengers. So this degree of sneaking around seems to be a bit excessive to me. Also, we will see throughout this issue, Rick Jones apparently has a obsession a little bit, if you will, with running along rooftops and making entrances through unconventional means. On top of that, I mentioned that Rick and Cap had a bit of a falling out. That took place during Captain America 115 through 119. So the Red Skull took and used the Cosmic Cube to swap appearances with Captain America. And Rick happened to run into the Red Skull Captain America in Central Park 
and Red Skull basically told him off, and that led Rick to decide to abandon trying to be Captain America's sidekick, at which point he actually becomes a supporting cast member in another book, Captain Marvel, and we will see how that plays into the story here in a few moments. Upon entering the mansion, Captain America and Rick encounter the other Avengers who have gathered in the middle of the night at Cap's summons, and they all gather around their meeting table where Captain America calls this emergency session to order. Now, obviously, it being the middle of the night, we find Goliath is a little bit testy, having been woken up in the middle of the night. And it's kind of funny to me that it's almost as if the persona of Goliath has to be just a smidge adversarial and that it's really regardless of who is actually wearing the costume. When Hank Pym was Goliath, he was kind of adversarial. And now that Hawkeye is Goliath, he's also kind of adversarial. Now, obviously, he and Cap had some of that going on beforehand, but really in recent memory, Cap and Hawkeye have gotten along very, very well. So it really does feel like it's the role of Goliath as opposed to the role of Clint Barton or Hank Pym to be just a little bit on the aggressive, testy kind of side. I also really like the new Avengers meeting table and the fact that they have these really cool customized chairs with character appropriate logos on the back. And personally, I, I kind of want these for like my dining room table or maybe like a D&D gaming table. And I also would like to know if Goliath's chair changes in size along with him. Because right now it's a very large chair. As we see Rick try and sit in the chair, it is dramatically oversized for a regular person. But, you know, what if Goliath is regular size? Is the chair going to fit him better or does he have to be big? I also kind of wonder why Goliath, and this again applies to the persona, not just Clint Barton, but they tend to run around in a 10 foot or so height, no matter what's going on. Like they could just hang out normal size and grow when they needed to, but instead they just sit around Avengers Mansion like 10 feet tall. It's kind of weird because again, a lot of Avengers Mansion has become custom, but it's still a New York mansion. It wasn't built for people 10 feet tall. I feel like there would have to be a lot of either really stooping down to get through doorways or shrinking and then regrowing, which just to me feels like a lot of excess work when he could just be normal size except when he needs to. So noting that several of the Avengers members are missing and the reasons why they're not there, Cap goes on to inform his team that several top New York City officials have gone missing. And not only that, but S.H.I.E.L.D. has gotten themselves involved and is going to provide the Avengers with a briefing. Almost on cue, the video transceiver alerts the Avengers to an incoming message from Dum Dum Dugan, who is the right hand of Nick Fury. Dugan informs the heroes that the city officials have been abducted by a man named Scorpio. And then in a very surprising moment, Dugan fighting off tears further informs the Avengers that he is making the call because Nick Fury has been murdered by an assassin named Bullseye while attending a concert. Now it is worth noting here that based on my research, this is actually not the same Bullseye as the Daredevil villain. It just happens to be another assassin named Bullseye, which in fairness is a fairly generic stereotypical name for a sniper type assassin character. But this Bullseye is actually gunned down after the assassination of Nick Fury. I really like here that the whole view screen interruption isn't done by Nick Fury. Aside from the overarching 
portions of the plot, which you'll kind of understand here as we get into it, it slightly subverts the reader's expectations because we've seen Nick Fury do the shield briefing multiple times in other Avengers issues. So when you get a briefing from shield, you just kind of assume it's going to be Nick Fury and that slight subverting of the reader's expectations kind of puts the reader a little off guard, a little off balance and allows the story to kind of bounce them around a little bit more and they they don't quite know what to expect anymore. We're no longer specifically following the expected formula. So the reader starts to question more and more of their assumptions, making the story a little less predictable for the reader, which is always a good thing. Not only that, but the scene plays even better because with Dum Dum Dugan delivering the news and with how emotional he gets, it really carries a lot more weight. Generally speaking, Dum Dum Dugan is a little stoic, if you will. Not Stoic isn't quite the right word, but he's not the kind of guy to wear his emotions on his sleeve. So to see him get choked up over Nick Fury, it really tells me a lot about what Fury means to S.H.I.E.L.D. as an agency and also to Dugan as a personal friend. And the idea of Nick Fury's death just adds that much more weight to what's coming further in this issue. Shocked by this news, the Avengers attempt to regain control of the situation, but they are interrupted by Rick Jones. And Rick explains that he was on Nick Fury's roof. Again, as I mentioned, Rick seems to have a thing for being on people's roofs, looking to discuss with the Spymaster the potential of becoming his sidekick. Again, Rick is kind of a a career sidekick at this point. Rick really wants to be a hero, but he's just a teenager, maybe 18-year-old range. So he's not a kid, but he's still young, doesn't have any powers, and just because he's been around heroes so much, wants to be a hero, wants to help out. Rick finds an open window, making his way inside to Nick's apartment, and he encounters this character Scorpio. Now, I have to say that the setup here in general bugs me a bit because the idea of climbing into Nick Fury's window without making yourself known or without having some kind of pre-arranged understanding strikes me as a very easy way to get oneself killed very quickly. I mean, we're talking about Nick Fury here, super spy master, Colonel, World War II commando veteran, Nick Fury. This is not the kind of guy you should be sneaking up on through windows. So I kind of have to question Rick's judgment here. But again, as you'll see, there's a little bit more to Rick than meets the eye. So our surprised villain, Scorpio unleashes an energy blast at Rick from this key to the Zodiac. Now, unbeknownst to Scorpio, and quite honestly, the Avengers, Rick has actually become connected to the Kree hero, Captain Marvel, as I mentioned earlier. And as he struggles to get up, Marvel convinces Rick to give him a chance at Scorpio. So Rick slams together two golden bands that are on his wrists, and he switches atoms with Captain Marvel, releasing the superhero from the negative zone and sending Rick in his place. Really what this connection is, is that after having turned on the Kree Empire in order to defend Earth, Captain Marvel, and again, this is the original Captain Marvel for Marvel Comics. This is not the character now known as Shazam. This is the Kree hero Marvel, M-A-R hyphen V-E-L-L. After turning his back on his people, he is banished to the negative zone by the Kree Supreme Intelligence. The big green blobby thing floating around. That's really a collection of the best minds throughout the history of 
the Kree Empire. It's basically this artificial intelligence that's been generated by combining all of the best intellects of Kree throughout the ages. So Marvel is able to, even though he's stuck in the negative zone, exchange atoms with Rick Jones using these gold bands that are called negabands, and they exchange atoms. So they basically exchange places. Rick is sent to the negative zone, and Captain Marvel is sent to regular reality, in this case, Earth, wherever Rick was. In this case, the two swap places and Captain Marvel begins to pursue Scorpio and at least for a time manages to get the upper hand. But Scorpio eventually turns on Captain Marvel and releases yet another blast from the key to the Zodiac and Captain Marvel is laid low pretty quick. Now I do have to wonder here how much of each other's thoughts that Rick and Captain Marvel can hear because when Captain Marvel first shows up, he is a little bit condescending about Rick talking about how Rick wants to be a superhero and he's really constantly on the edge of superheroes without being one. And although it's a little unfair, it's a fairly accurate analysis. Unfortunately, it's just, it feels a little bit like he's picking on Rick and kind of making fun of him for just being this superhero groupie, if you will. Also, this key to the Zodiac that we've now seen used twice has to pack really quite the punch because he turns out on Rick Jones, Rick is thrown back, but then Captain Marvel is thrown back and Captain Marvel is a really fairly powerful hero in the Marvel universe. So the fact that a single blast from this thing is knocking out Captain Marvel, or at least stunning him to the point where Zodiac can get away, tells me that this thing is really rather powerful. So Rick finishes up his story. Of course, he leaves out the personal connection to Captain Marvel and whatnot, but he presents the Avengers with a list of three city officials that was dropped by Scorpio as he was fleeing Nick Fury's apartment. And the Avengers are stunned to discover that the list matches exactly the list that Captain America had from S.H.I.E.L.D. of the kidnapped city officials. Obviously, this whole situation is somewhat abnormal, kind of unusual. So Captain America is about to press Rick for more answers when he is cut off by a voice coming from their display screen. And this is more than a bit unsettling because at this point, the view screen just starts talking on its own. And this is a really great sci-fi suspense horror trope where technology like this view screen starts to gain a mind of its own. And it really sets the scene here and gives Scorpio a bit more gravitas in that he's able to turn the Avengers own equipment against them. So as this voice is coming through on the view screen, suddenly the face of the three men appear on the screen. And then almost as unannounced, the face Faces begin to dissolve and merge into a single face, that of Scorpio. And again, this is really cool. The whole time Scorpio's talking, he's threatening the Avengers, and on Scorpio's command, the entire view screen just explodes in a massive fireball in, although a vain attempt, a very impressive vain attempt to get rid of the heroes. I really enjoy this blurring of the three images into one. I think it's a really cool effect. I'm kind of wondering to myself though, and now I guess I'm wondering to you guys, whether or not it would be better or worse if they'd given themselves a little bit more space and maybe try and use an entire page for it. Maybe like a, a nine panel layout, something like that. Admittedly, there isn't any kind of like extra fluff in this issue. So I don't know how they would have added or subtracted from places to, to make that happen. But I think it would have just been an interesting, it's kind of an interesting thought experiment to me. How could this have been a little bit different? And would that different have been better or worse? 
Again, this is also a demonstration of exactly how powerful the key to the Zodiac is because it's able to destroy the view screen from a remote location. Again, Scorpio is not in Avengers Mansion and he's able to attack the Avengers in what is generally considered their safe place, their home. As a result of this blast, the Avengers are knocked unconscious and when they awaken, they find themselves imprisoned by Scorpio, unable to move or speak. In front of them is standing Scorpio, gloating over the Avengers, and he reveals his co-conspirators, the criminal cartel called Zodiac. It becomes pretty clear to the Avengers rather quickly that all of these actions that Scorpio has been taking have been a means for Scorpio to become welcome back to the Zodiac. It's unclear why Scorpio was kicked out of the Zodiac, but it's very apparent that he had done something to offend them or to to warrant his exclusion from the organization. And this is his attempt at gaining entrance once again. So the rest of the Zodiac are really pretty on point with their villainous theming. Though admittedly, some are better than others. Obviously, the Zodiac's theming, based on their name, is the 12 symbols of the Zodiac. Really what this feels kind of like is a Halloween party, and we've all been to one of these where there are some people who do the bare minimum, and there are some people who go all out. It's like office space with the 19 pieces of flair. Are you going to do the bare minimum, or are you going to have 35 pieces of flair? And this is actually the first appearance of the Zodiac, with the exception of Scorpio, who first appeared in Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. number one. And really, the Zodiac thing is kind of their shtick. They're different humans who dress up and, to an extent, act like the various symbols of the Zodiac. Now, while Scorpio is distracted talking to Ares, who is the leader of the Zodiac, Yellow Jacket is able to use his control over Ants because he still has that built into his costume in order to free the Avengers by sending the insects into the control devices for the beam that is holding the Avengers captive. This catches the Zodiac completely off guard and with the sudden turn of events, the Avengers are able to take the offensive. It's great that despite the fact that Yellowjacket can't move, he still uses his control over Ants as a means of escape. What this shows me is that the writer and artist here, because again, remember we're using the Marvel method here, so there is a much more significant input from the artist here, but it shows me that these two men really understand these characters inside and out and that they can make a full use of the character's array of abilities in order to suit the plot as they choose. They're not forced to continually rely on one gimmick or another. They have multiple options that they can execute as they deem necessary. As the Avengers take on various members of the Zodiac, they are absolutely floored to find out that when Scorpio unmasks himself, he is none other than Nick Fury. And although the Avengers have tons of questions, Nick is fairly insistent that first they need to deal with the situation with a threat at hand. And I would have to agree with the Avengers because Scorpio being revealed as Nick Fury honestly generates more questions than it answers on top of being an excellent plot twist. It explains a little bit as to why Scorpio was in Nick Fury's apartment because it turns out Nick Fury was in Nick Fury's apartment. But at the same time, there's just a whole mess of questions that are now on the table that need to get addressed and to an extent will get addressed by the end of the issue. 
even with Scorpio's defection as Nick Fury, the fight is still fairly one-sided. It originally starts off as five against 12, and then with the switching of sides by Nick Fury, it ends up six against 11, which is still pretty terrible odds. And part of me just assumes, I guess that's what makes them superheroes. But at the same time, this still seems like a poor decision to continue the fight when you're outnumbered almost two to one. If I'm going into some kind of situation, some kind of fight, and again, I mean, I'm not a fighter by nature. I'm, you know, talking video games, things like that. I really try and avoid it unless I'm certain to win or I'm going in with massive numerical superiority. And in this case, the Avengers are going in with neither. So on one hand, it makes their victory more heroic. On the other hand, it kind of makes their decision dumber. Obviously, the Avengers are making themselves busy with the Zodiac. Meanwhile, Rick and Captain Marvel take a moment to discuss what has to be done. And although Captain Marvel really does desire to get involved and to help the Avengers, in the end, he and Rick both agree that Rick has to do what he feels best. And in this case, it's Rick rushing off to help the Avengers in whatever way he can. Again, this goes back to the monologue Captain Marvel had about Rick and how Rick wants to be a hero and constantly surrounds himself with heroes, but he isn't a superhero. He doesn't have the powers. Captain Marvel recognizes that Rick really needs to do this. And good on Rick for sticking to his guns a little bit here and not letting Captain Marvel get involved. I really appreciate the fact that although he doesn't have superpowers, he isn't really a hero, Rick is not afraid to get involved and to put his butt on the line and really try to do whatever he can to help the situation. Above anything else, that just makes Rick a good person. He wants to do right, and he's willing to take risks and sacrifice in order to accomplish that. Now, despite my earlier pronouncement, the Avengers and Nick Fury do make fairly quick work of the Zodiac. That is, until Ares again inflicts the key to the Zodiac on the Avengers. And in this case, it nearly defeats the Avengers, until Rick Jones is able to intervene, attacking Ares, and momentarily interrupting his assault just long enough to allow the Avengers to regain the offensive and force Ares and the rest of the Zodiac to retreat. As they do so, Ares covers their escape using the key to the Zodiac and creates some kind of impenetrable substance to prevent the Avengers from pursuing. So at this point, everything's kind of mellowed up. Although the villains have escaped, the Avengers are unable to pursue. So things start to wind down and the Avengers have a few moments to talk with Nick Fury. Nick explains that he impersonated Scorpio in order to try and flush out Zodiac. That it's this criminal cartel. He'd been trying to get them out into the open and to break the plan for world domination they had. They talk about a plan. They don't really give any kind of specifics, which is why I didn't go into it. They just talk about having this master plan for world domination. And so Nick's attempting to infiltrate the cartel in order to disrupt their activities. Now, what is revealed is that much to his both surprise and shame that the real Scorpio is in fact Nick Fury's own younger brother, Jake. And it's very obvious as the issue wraps up that the events that have led up to this moment have actually shaken Nick Fury pretty badly. That finding out that his own brother is this villain he's been trying to track down and as part of this cartel he's been trying to stop really would be unsettling under the best of circumstances and and, and rarely do superhero comics and revelations like this involve the best of circumstances. So Nick Fury is kind of reeling at the end of this issue. And for the most part, that's where we're going to leave this issue with 
the exception of the fact that Captain America invites Rick to join him as a partner. Finally, you know, much to Rick's really fantasy, what, what Rick has wanted all these years. Unfortunately, because of his relationship to Captain Marvel now, Rick is forced to turn down this offer. And we end on a little bit of a sad note of Rick having to accept the gravity of the situation and the fact that he may be Captain Marvel's only connection to reality for the rest of existence. And that's our issue. Overall, this is a really strong standalone issue that makes for a nice break after the last couple of longer three-issue story arcs. Those were a lot of fun, but this is a, a one-and-done that had a ton of action, suspense. With the inclusion of Nick Fury, it gave a real spy thriller kind of vibe. Things like the name of Scorpio and Zodiac really evoke images of things like James Bond. So there's a lot of that action, suspense, spy thriller kind of feel going on here. That makes for a really fun issue. I will say that the villains in this issue were not particularly well defined, but at the same time, they didn't really need to be in order to make it work. Although not explicitly called out as one, in a lot of ways, this is a crossover issue with Nick Fury. And as crossover issues go, the team doesn't necessarily have to have this intimate connection with these villains in order to fight them. The Avengers are here to fight these villains because of Nick Fury, not because of what Zodiac means to them. So they work well as a villain because of the relationships with the heroes, not so much the hero's relationship to the villain, but the interconnected relationships between the heroes. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Next week, we are going to be taking a look at Avengers number 73, The Sting of the Serpent. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.